0: Welcome to Extraterrestrial Reality. Well, it's been almost 3 years now that I've been doing this podcast and uh and the reason I started doing this podcast in the first place, the, I think the main reason is is because there just wasn't enough people out there saying the things that needed to be said, uh particularly when it comes to UFO debunkers and and government lies over and over and over again. Now, there's been a lot of people I I I have a lot of respect for throughout the years like the late Stanton Friedman. He always said what what needed to be said. Uh, but there are others who are too nice about it, and and we just can't be that way anymore. We're never going to get anywhere, and that's why it's it's time to be mean and rotten, just like these other people are to us. Fight fire with fire. I always say that's that's what the debunkers are doing. Uh, they're just uh, they they don't like this whole concept of an extraterrestrial slash non-human intelligence reality. They hate it. Uh, they want to be right. That's very important to them. So they do not want this information. They don't want the truth to be told. Let's just, let's just face it. But, you know, every now and then you see comments from some certain people out there, big names in the, in, uh, the UFO field. And, uh, today was one of those, was one of those days where somebody said something, which I highly respect, uh, and it's, it's it's like somewhat of a vindication because for the last, I don't know, since I started this podcast, I've been slamming Neil deGrasse Tyson, uh, the astrophysicist who's on TV all the time. He seems to be a darling of the mainstream news media. Anytime they want to talk about UFOs, for some reason they bring on this guy. And he doesn't have anything to offer except uh, ridicule. It's the same old, same old. It's like Carl Sagan uh back from the grave for the most part. That's what it seems like to me. Uh, and, you know, the funny thing is, is I actually like Neil deGrasse Tyson. I think he's an entertaining fellow. At the same time, when he talks about UFOs, he doesn't know what he's talking about. He's just an idiot when it comes to UFOs. He might be a smart guy when it comes to the, uh, when it comes to the planets and, and the solar system and the universe, but when it comes to uh ufos and the extraterrestrial reality he's really stupid and naive but yet for some reason he's always bring brought on uh, mainstream news channels on a regular basis to talk about this when he has no business to talk about he doesn't even know what he's talking about he's never studied it and he makes really dumb statements sometimes like hey, he doesn't understand why alien abductees don't grab an, an alien ashtray when they're on, in a flying saucer stuff like that it's just really stupid uh, and and other things he he'll make statements like oh every, everyone we have all these cell phones and how come nobody's getting the 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 end all evidence with that well because how about this Neil how about the fact is is that these things may be a hundred thousand years more advanced than we are and they have it all figured out and they have it all covered because let me tell you something buddy they are here now I got to really give uh, a lot of credit today to uh, Dr Gary Nolan from Stanford University who he was getting interviewed by the filmmaker James Fox. Docu- he made a lot of documentaries, James Fox, of course. The Phenomenon, uh, uh, which was one of my favorite ones from the last few years that came out. A um, uh, Moment of Contact, that was another good one. That was about the Virginia case. And he had a recent interview where he was talking to Gary Nolan. And Nolan said right out that uh, Neil deGrasse Tyson needs to be stripped of his PhD. That's what he said. Here's his direct quote says I don't think Neil deGrasse Tyson should be respected because I don't think he's acting in the best interest of science. I think he's broken his oath of science and that, you know, frankly, if there was a if there were a tribunal of could you take away somebody's PhD? Neil deGrasse Tyson's PhD should be removed. When's the last time he's been invited to give a science talk? When's the last experiment he's published? Never. He hasn't. Why is anybody? Li- why does anybody listen to him? Don't ask me, he bloviates. Sorry, Neil, he should be stripped of his PhD. That's exactly true. I mean, if you're going to comment on something about UFOs, something of which you have not really studied and know nothing of, then why are you going on TV and acting like you're some kind of an expert when you're not? Yeah, he has done a great disservice to science, and it's really nice to see someone like Gar- uh, Gary Nolan talk about uh, this and, and put it right out there. Um, now, this is something, like, actually, uh, last year, right, there was, Avi Ab- Loeb had some comments, but these are the strongest comments I've seen directed toward Neil deGrasse Tyson. Uh, last year, Avi Loeb was pointing out, uh, of of course, Avi Loeb, the Harvard professor who uh, has an interest in UFOs, um, he, he pointed out how, how uh, you know, people like deGrasse Tyson, they don't, uh, they, they, they don't even do real science, not like people like Abby Loeb is doing. Like he's actually going out into the field and doing science, where uh, Neil deGrasse Tyson's showing up on TV and just running his mouth. That's about it. So I think this was great. Uh, and I think we need more of this. We need to keep cracking back at these morons uh, who just are, are inept when it comes to this subject. They just don't know what they're talking about. And now we have, you know, of course, recently we've had the Sean Kirkpatrick making his. Uh, making comments saying that there's nothing. He found nothing. He's he's found nothing uh, as his time as the director of the All Domain Anomaly Resolution Office. He's found nothing. I mean, it's all over mainstream news. If you do a Google search right now on UFOs, you're going to get like about five or six different articles about Kirkpatrick talking about uh, there's nothing to this. So there's an effort out there by the Secret Control Group along with and Kirkpatrick. Obviously, whether he knows it or not, he's part of this. Uh, I think he does know it. And they're just, they're trying to put the toothpaste back in the tube now. That's what they're trying to do. They're trying to make anybody who's been pushing for uh, uh, UFO disclosure, anybody who's been, uh, uh, says that there's a conspiracy ongoing for decades, they're trying to make them look like crackpots and say that they, they found nothing, absolutely nothing whatsoever. There's nothing to hide, nothing to see here, which is absolutely absurd again all of this i mean the re this is why i I just it's just a giant injustice this whole thing right this whole cover-up all these people like sean kirkpatrick and all the debunkers making stupid statements on a regular basis i mean and this is they're just the the latest rendition of debunkers debunkers i mean we've been putting up with this for for decades now right uh making statements. And, and you have all these other people on the other side of the coin who have, have to have to live their lives knowing that they've encountered something, experienced something. They're afraid to talk about it. They're afraid to, to be made be made to look like they're crackpots because of, they had an experience that was beyond their control. And it's just such a giant injustice in, in my eyes. I mean, as far as I'm concerned, you, people need to keep saying these kind of things. We really need to slam back at these uh, debunkers and these people who are getting in the way of the truth. Obviously, they don't want the truth revealed some of them some of them just think it's a joke because they they bought the uh, uh, pentagon position a long time ago and they're still still there There's they're still they, they bought a hook line and sinker and they're just idiots right now still after all this time I think Neil deGrasse Tyson might be an example of that uh, but maybe he's not maybe he's smarter than we realize and he's just part of the cover-up as well we just don't know but we need to keep cracking back at them with statements like this like Gary Nolan made because there is something to this, and I and I hate the idea that uh, there are all these people out there who have experienced these things, saw UFOs, saw alien beings, or both, right? And yet. Uh, they're ridiculed if they talk about it publicly. They'll, they'll, people, other people will try to make fools out of them, try to say that they're crazy. When actually that's not the case. It's not the case. Actually, these people really did experience something, and it's a giant injustice, and it needs to end. And it, you know, we got to keep uh, fighting back like this. You, you got to just say it. You got to say what needs to be said. That's what needs to happen. People need to keep saying what needs to be said. And I'm so glad to see a comment like this from Gary Nolan. Wow. I mean, this is probably the strongest comment yet from a scientist directed at another scientist saying you you, you should have your Ph.D. removed. You're doing a great injustice to science. You don't even do science. All you do is bloviate. That's awesome. We need more of this. Thank you. Thank you, Gary Nolan. I mean, just think about it. All those people. And I know I'm one of them. You know, I'm one of these people. I feel like it's a great injustice. Right? The fact that I know that there's something that I experienced certain things in my life, and I know that they were real, and I don't like the idea of other people out there ridiculing me or anybody else that experienced these things and just making a big fool out of people on TV and in books and newspaper articles. I'm so tired of these grinning morons like Michael Shermer, uh, Mick West. Uh, Jason Colavito, there's all these names out there. Stephen Greenstreet, there's like this this cabal of morons that don't like this and they don't really study it and all all they do is they find fun in just making fun of other people, other people who had real experiences or, or you know real encounters and it's just awful what we're going through and that's why we need to get disclosure, you know and then you have to wonder. You know, that might be one of the biggest fears of this secret control group is the fact that they're going to, it's going to, everyone's going to know that they were lying. Everyone's going to know. Now, a lot of us already know that they've been lying for decades and that there is a secret uh, group covering this up that is working behind the scenes to recover, uh, Crashed UFOs and reverse engineer them. We all know there's a lot of us that already know this, but there's a lot of people who don't, and that's their big. That has to be one of their biggest concerns is the fact that they're going to be outed, and there's going to be people that know that this thing existed for a long time and that they were they were being lied to about it for a long time. We got to get beyond this already. This is just so absurd at this point. But hey, I want to say anyway, thank you to Gary Nolan for you know basically uh, figuratively uh, smacking Neil deGrasse Tyson across the teeth. And showing him uh, what's what—that's that's great stuff. We got to keep doing that. Other people need to keep doing this to other people who uh, who are constantly in the news talking about UFOs. Got to keep doing it. Don't 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 let these morons, uh, you know, put us down, put throw us backward because that's what they're trying to do right now. Anyway, uh, <clears throat> I want to talk about uh, physical, today I want to, the, the biggest thing I want to talk about today is the physical trace cases. Um, you know, like today still, uh, organizations like MUFON, when, when, pe- when there are sightings, or landings, anything like that, they'll, they'll do an investigation, they'll collect evidence, and sometimes there's physical trace evidence left behind by uh, craft that land. Uh, and it's very interesting and i've been you know one of the people in the field who died uh, a few years ago is ted Phillips. he was somebody who who actually that was a specialty throughout his life basically he collected and studied physical trace evidence from ufo uh events and that's he spent a lot of time doing that throughout his life thousands of different cases he looked into uh actually he was i remember he was featured in the 1979 documentary ufo's are real which i believe is one of the best Doc, probably the best documentary to come out of the 1970s on the UFO topic and definitely one of the best UFO documentaries of all time. Uh, the only, the only, only issue I have with it now is that uh, it did have some of the Billy Meyer stuff in there. Uh, that was something new at that time. Uh, uh, Billy Meyer, of course, the uh, person who takes all these pictures uh, from Switzerland, taking all these pictures of UFOs. Some of them were apparently hoaxed. Uh, that was the only part of that documentary that I didn't like. But the, most of that documentary, the, uh, 95 98% of it, was very intriguing and a lot of compelling information. And one of the features in that documentary was Ted Phillips. He was there and he was talking about physical trace evidence. And I remember if you watch that documentary, I'll leave a link uh, for it so you can check it out for yourself. You'll find it free uh, to watch on YouTube. Uh, a lot of different channels have it, have it uh, posted there. Uh, but you'll also find it uh, uh, the probably the best looking version of it the, the where the the video's not as uh compromised I should say would you'll find it on Shout TV and I'll leave a link for that you can check that out uh excellent documentary excellent documentary but with regard to uh Ted Phillips in that documentary he like he showed uh, examples of how soil is affected by flying saucers or U and UFOs when they land. Uh, like he, the soil collected from where uh, the area of the ground, right where the uh, that where the UFO sat, that that soil was completely drained, and and from that point forward was unable to absorb water. Where soil right from around uh, where, where the uh, craft landed. It was able to absorb water. It was still. It acted normally. But other soil was affected. So people out there, particularly a lot of debunkers out there, say there's no proof. There's no evidence. There's no evidence of UFOs. There's nothing out there. Well, there is evidence, and uh, and we ignore it. I mean, even people in in uh, the UFO community seem to ignore it uh, sometimes. I mean, there's not just uh, pictures and film and video. Uh, it's not just that. There's. I mean, there's been the alien implants that have been removed and. There's no rhyme or reason for them. And the late Dr. Roger Lear was looking at those things. And in fact, in that uh, documentary from Jeremy Corbell, Patient 19, uh, I mean, these things are unearthly. These objects that are removed from alien abductees, these implants, they're unearthly. There is evidence out there. There is that. There's the Turkey UFO footage, which I think is the... Uh, that's probably the best footage ever taken because you, you you actually see alien beings inside of a craft hovering over the Sea of Marmara near Turkey. Uh, and they were taken in 2007, 2008, and 2009. So that, to me, is proof. And then you have all the witness testimonies. There's so many cases where there's multiple witnesses. All these cases, all these people ain't making it up. I mean, this stuff, if it was to go to a court of law, it would be the judge in the end, and the jury would find that the... Uh, Uh, the people who saw this object are telling the truth in a lot of these cases I really believe that for instance the Ariel school event Uh, but then of course there's the physical trace uh, stuff now uh, back in uh, 1975 Phillips put together a uh, uh, a report on this for the Center for UFO Studies which was an organization uh, that was put together that was organized by the late J. Allen Hynek and uh there was over eight hundred and eight hundred and thirty reports in there about roughly, and 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 uh, with, with physical that of objects that left physical trace evidence, and it all and, and it and it went all the way. It started actually. The first one was from fourteen ninety in Ireland, or the first case that was uh, cataloged in there. Uh, that was uh, it was uh, during a there was a silvery silvery disc shaped object that was seen hovering over a church during morning mass. Uh, and uh, there was a trail that was seen coming off this object. Uh, there was a, and the object caused uh, issues below down below. There was a bell that was dislodged from its mooring. Uh, I'm assuming it was from the church, and there were cows that were singed by this object, whatever it was. So that was the earliest case, and it goes all the way up into the 70s into the, into 1975. And of course, there's a lot more cases since then. But I'd just like to go through some of them. Uh, Actually, here's what uh, J. Allen Hynek said about uh, physical trace cases. He says, physical trace cases can be defined as those UFO cases in which definite physical changes in the immediate vicinity of a UFO sighting have been recorded. Marks and surface changes on the ground, damage to vegetation, residues and or artifacts found, and surface effects of some duration on buildings and vehicles. These are all included in the broader term, Close Encounters of the Second Kind, which in which a reported UFO has interacted with the immediate environment, animate or inanimate uh, matter. So uh, and then Phillips later on gets into this uh, when he has his own forward. he says during the past five and a half years I have conducted specialized research into physical traces found following a UFO event in this research I have worked closely with a large number of people Uh, and then he goes on to say later on he says in this catalog 561 reports are of incidents where one or more witnesses saw UFO an object or light and later discovered physical traces at or near that location. 154 cases are reported of similar traces that have been found although no UFO was seen. And finally, 116 occasions are listed for which no details have been available, making a total of 831 reports in this catalog. And then he talks about what the traces usually are. The traces are quite varied, yet remarkably consistent in size and shape, and may be divided into into the following groups. One, circular sites, which are circular traces with damage over the entire area, burned, depressed, or dehydrated. Two, rings, which are circular traces, burned, depressed, or dehydrated. The outer perimeter shows damage while the central area is unchanged. And three, nests. Oval traces generally with a depressed, swirling effect seen. So I'm going to go through some. I'm just going to talk about some of these cases that he has listed here. Uh, I'm going to jump probably, yeah, we're going to jump until the late 1960s and, and then take it from there. But uh, I guess what I want to say here about it is like, you know, you have all these people out there, especially particularly debunkers, saying that there's no evidence, there's no evidence. How can come you, uh, when these kind of things happen, well, why aren't they out investigating and try to get to the bottom of these cases? I mean, why don't they join MUFON and, and when some of these things happen, why don't they uh, go check them out and try to come up with uh, explanations. They don't do it because they don't want to. That's that's no no. Do not investigate physical trace cases because then you're you're going you might lead to being shown shown that you've been a fool those, all these all these years. So they'll stay away from it. They don't like proof. These debunkers. We're like why doesn't Neil deGrasse Tyson instead of going on on TV and 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 saying that UFOs are a joke and there's no evidence for it? Why not go on? Why why not go to one of these places where people's Multiple witnesses, a case, a lot of these cases are, multiple witnesses see a UFO coming down to Earth, landing, sometimes the beings get out, in addition to the burned vegetation and and, uh, trees getting damaged, sometimes they find uh, landing marks uh, on the ground, but they also find uh, footprints from the occupants that got out and were walking around. But anyway, I want to go through some of these cases and then we'll just talk about them, Uh, I think they're very interesting. Here's one uh, from May of 1968 in the United United States, Centralia, Illinois. A witness was awakened by the strange action of the lights on an electric fence charger and saw a brilliant light over the area which moved northwest, hovered 15 minutes, moved south, and hovered for five minutes, minutes. The witness found a path burned through a nearby tree line. All the leaves were wilted and dead. Three trees died. Okay, so there you go. That's one case from 1968 where a witness saw a UFO. It did damage to the tr- some trees there. Uh, leaves were wilted or dead, and then three trees died. If you're a, a, a UFO debunker, somebody doesn't believe in this, well, there, here's some evidence for you. Why don't you go investigate it? Try, try to figure it out. But they don't. They don't care. Uh, here's another one from May of 1968 that happened in Canada. Uh, Mrs. Hoffer watched a bright circular object land about 900 feet away. The witness ran away. The next day, two oval-shaped burned areas were found. Digging in the larger circle, which was 9 feet in diameter and seven and a half inches deep, revealed that it had been burned to a depth of 3 feet. The center of the circle was not as badly burned as the outside perimeter. The grass grew in the burned area that year, but the sheep wouldn't eat it. The second circle was about 8 feet in diameter. There you go again, that's that left evidence a left evidence behind a UFO landed left evidence behind cheap won't eat that grass, there must be something wrong with it, right so there you go that's evidence that's that's called evidence i mean if if uh if there's like a crime scene where so, say somebody uh, kills somebody and then drops the body off somewhere. Right. And and the and the and there's tire tracks left behind the police would be able to potentially match up the tire tracks left at at the murders where the body was dropped with the with the murderer's car. I mean isn't this the same kind of thing? I mean wouldn't be able if science you think if you were a scientist you would be out there looking at every case like this every time you hear one you'd be inter- you should be interested in this. Why was only at at this stage back in the 70s there was only this one guy for the most part, Ted Phillips, doing this kind of work. And today we like again we do have some people in Mufon that do this. But you think that more people—not not just UFO organizations—not it shouldn't just be them. It should be any kind of scientist out there who wants to learn, wants to do science. I mean, why doesn't Neil deGrasse Tyson study uh, physical trace cases like this? <clears throat> I mean, some of these cases are just, like, really short. Like, I'm going to leave the link so you can check this out for yourself. Like, uh, here was one from, it says, just June 19th, 1968 in Bolivia. An object landed, burned area, and imprints were found. That's all it says. Uh, Here's another one from June 21st, 1968 in Argentina. A man riding his bicycle encountered a large object 50 centimeters above the ground. The top part was spinning, and it cast a vertical beam of light toward the ground. The light beam was red burned traces were found again it left evidence I mean if if it's a hallucination hallucinations don't leave back uh, leave imprints and uh, on the ground and burn vegetation that's not a hallucination uh, so basically what uh, people who don't believe in this will have you believe is that then all of these cases all of these physical trace cases right would have to be hoaxes then they would have to be hoaxes wouldn't they I mean if you're if you're someone who just outright does not believe this right then and when people multiple witnesses see a ufo landing somewhere and then leaving and then there's trace evidence there's imprints in the ground of the landing legs there might be footprints from the occupants there could be burned vegetation there could be broken tree branches then that means as as, if you're a debunker for every single case like that and believe me folks there are a lot right thousands we don't even know how many cases these are just some of the ones that ted phillips had cataloged back in 1975 there's a lot more since 19 75 so all of those cases if you're if you're if you're living in the uh, the ranged mind of a ufo debunker they must have all have been hoaxed all of them because they don't believe in it it's impossible in, in their mind so that because there's ev- what that evidence what are you talking about evidence they must have did it themselves even though in a lot of these cases it was shown that whatever object and sometimes these objects they could tell how heavy they were Uh, based on how deep the imprints went. And sometimes they're like like 10 tons, 5 tons. They weigh a lot, 1,000 pounds. Anyway, here's another one, a quick one from Brazil in July 1968. Over 10 witnesses landing, tripod gear, and ladder seen, Confirming witnesses. That's all it says. Uh, But there there apparently was some uh, physical trace evidence left at that case, too. Here's another case from July of 1968 in Argentina. Oscar Eriart, 15, saw two men of normal size. Near them was an elliptical silvery object, seven foot long. It had three three 50-centimeter legs. The witnesses, horse and dog, were paralyzed for several minutes. The boy arrived home, quote, like a madman, end quote. Object took off vertically at great speed with flashes of light. Inspection showed three holes which had gone into the ground 12 centimeters, forming the pattern of a perfect isosceles triangle. Yeah, a lot of these times the the imprints in the ground are in the shape of a triangle in a lot of cases. Not all of them, sometimes they're in a rectangle. Uh, here's another case from 19, July of 1968 in Argentina. Landed object and ob- occupants traces found. That's all it says. Here's one from Canada from July 1968. Five children claimed to have seen two UFOs. One landed 1,000 feet away while the other remained overhead. A creature four foot tall with a large head was seen briefly. The object, glowing red, ascended vertically into the clouds. A circle 15 foot in diameter where grain was beaten down was found. So again, physical trace evidence. There was evidence left behind of that, that showed that the object was actually there and that the witnesses aren't making it up. Here's another case from 1968 from Brazil. On the Da Silva property, as a group of people were watching for UFOs, the only woman present saw a large, dark triangular object land gently and silently within 10 meters and caught a glimpse of an occupant. The op- object was not seen by the others in the group as their attention was distracted by moving lights. At the spot, marks were found forming a triangle of 2.1 meters by 1.2 meter by 1.2 meters. Here's one from August 1968 in England in Woodmanstern. George Graham, a farmer, was looking for foxes when he saw a dark blue glow in the field. The glow was under the base of an object. It ascended. Af- it ascended after about 15 minutes. Graham heard a rush of air as it took off vertically. He found a keyhole-shaped mark at the site. Length was 40 feet. Uh, Width was 20 feet, a band eight inch wide where the grass, blades and roots had been pulled from the ground was found. It took six months for the grass to grow over the area. The edges were well defined. So there again, something lands, leaves trace evidence, leaves a mark on the ground. Because it's really happening. That's why they're leaving marks on the ground because they're real objects that are really landing and leaving trace evidence. That's what's happening. It keeps happening over and over and over again. These are just some old cases we're talking about here. Uh, Here's from August 1968 in Canada. Three witnesses observed a luminous object for several minutes as it hovered. Later, it circled above the house 300 feet away. The object was about 25 feet in diameter. A four-foot circle of barren grass was found. An 18-inch circle in the center was not damaged. Okay, she just keeps going on. Here's another one from Canada from August 1968. A circle 20 feet in diameter was found in a field. It appeared that an object had barely touched the ground and burned the top leaves of the crop. A completely bare spot extending to the ground as if some heavy weight had rested there was near the center of the circle. Now, that that was just a case where the, where the, the aftermath was found. There was no object seen. But again, I mean, still, where's the explanation? Some of these things are happening in the middle of nowhere. Uh, the imprints are found in the ground where these things land and, uh, saw a lot of witnesses sometimes. Here's one from another one from August, 1968 in, uh, uh, Gallupville, New York, a man, his wife, and three children saw a reddish oval hovering near the ground. It was seen for 15 minutes and a buzzing sound was heard the next morning. They found several circular depressions with wheat swirled oddly. So there you go, more physical trace evidence. I guess it doesn't count though, right? I guess all of these cases in the mind of of a non-believer must be hoaxes because they don't believe in this stuff because to them it's crazy. Uh, August 10th, 1968 in Argentina, uh... Angel Periotti was at home resting when he heard a loud electrical explosion in his radio receiver and the house was filled with light. When he went outside, he observed, standing on the ground nearby, a disc-shaped object with two reddish cupolas, one above and one below. Around its edge was a luminous band of changing colors. It rose quickly into the air and disappeared. It left marks in the soil which formed a triangle. Just like the other cases. A lot of cases, the, the... Trace, physical trace evidence of, uh, of the landing gear involves like a triangle shape that they leave behind in the ground. Uh, here's one from Spain in uh, August 1968. A witness and his wife saw a hemispherical object hovering three and a half feet above the ground, giving off considerable light. On the other saw side, he saw two creatures about 300 feet from the object running toward it. They were about three and a half feet tall with four or five, with four or five legs, light in color, light in color. Watches stopped three times at the site. A large area of burned grass was found. So let me just read this one again. They were about three and a half feet tall with four or five legs. Wow they had four or five legs. I never heard of beings like that before. Uh, here's uh, let's just fast forward here a little bit. We're gonna uh, here's one from September 1st, 1968, Argentina. Two young casino workers aged 26 and 29 were driving home when the car stopped and the lights went out. They saw three human-like creatures with enlarged heads by their car. Two more creatures were standing near an oval machine floating one meter above the ground. One of the creatures was making marks on the car with a small device that gave off sparks. Okay. Uh, Physical trace evidence on a car. September 2nd, 1968, in Vacayville, California, Marion Boykin saw an object with a red glow. It landed on a hillside about a mile from his home. Four other people saw it also. The glow faded, but through trees, they could see four bright lights, white in color. Two large ones at the center, a smaller one on each end. Witnesses moved to within 600 feet. Grass in an area 75 feet long was dry. So there was, it for, somehow the grass was dry in just that one spot where the object was. Uh, here's one from October 1968 in Argentina. Antonio Damiani found a paralyzed calf Beside the animal, there was a large circular mark, also nine more perfect circles with diameters of 5 to 12 meters. A neighbor and the son of a police officer had seen a bright light and glow in the area 15 days before. Oh, so that one's interesting there. Uh, Here's one from Spain from from October 1968. A nine-year-old girl saw a very bright red light, circular in shape. Sound was heard. Traces were found. Um, Here's another one from Barcelona, Spain. From October 1968, several women saw a white ball of light that landed a hundred feet away. Another witness saw the light as it ascended. A circular burned area was found, seven feet in diameter. Unbelievable stuff. It's unbelievable, but it's but it, this is what is happening. I mean, they land, they leave marks because they're real. That's that's what's happening. If they live, they leave physical traces. <clears throat> Here's from November 1968 in Houston, Texas. Robert Hubbard, 15, and David Kelly, 17, saw a strange object in the sky that looked like a coin on its side with a dome and black dots that might have been windows. They also saw white filaments falling to the ground from where the object had been seen. Preliminary chemical analysis indicated that the stu- substance would not dissolve in water, alcohol, or sulfuric acid, among other things. According to David Wolliger, who also said microscopic and tactile examination indicates the substance is fibrous, elastic, relatively strong, somewhat sticky, and white in color. Mr. Wolliger forwarded the substance to uh, APRO for further analysis. Oh, So they... What is that substance? I don't know. We never got any more on it, I guess. Uh, But there have been substances that have been found uh, falling from these things sometimes. Sometimes the substances disappear. But again, it's physical trace evidence. They're leaving behind calling cards, evidence. Um... Okay, we're going to fast forward here. Uh, Here's another one from Argentina from November 1968. Several people reported seeing strange light on previous nights. An area was found on a farm near Tandil and was an outline in the grass of an ovoid shape whose larger furrow was of some 35 feet. In the outline, the grass does not grow as if the earth had been scorched. Around the outline, mushrooms have grown. The appearance of the mushrooms was sudden and prolific. The grass inside the circle seemed to be singed or at least to have less humidity than the grass outside. So this caused uh, something landed and it caused mushrooms to grow in, in, in this one area in Argentina. Okay, here's another one from Topeka, Kansas in 1969. A 17-year-old male was driving home when he saw an object on the road ahead. He drove to a nearby farmhouse, and he and another witness returned to the site and saw the object. They left to get more witnesses, and when they returned, the object was gone. Three imprints, one and a half to two inches in diameter, with a toe-like extension, was arranged in a triangle with sides of seven to eight feet. So how many times? I mean, how many cases so far? I'm just reading off this listing, this catalog that was put together by the late Ted Phillips. Talks about these the imprints in a triangular formation. Did all these people know that this is how we have to do it? Let's put it in a triangle formation, and then we'll call the cops up. We'll tell everybody, hey, we saw something landed here, and and this is where it was sitting right here. Look at look at landing marks. Is that and they they made sure to put it in in triangular formation? See this, it becomes impossible. The idea of some massive hoax being perpetrated all over the world by all these different people—it's uh, just impossible. It becomes impossible over the course of many decades. It's impossible. It's not that couldn't be. So this—it's actual evidence of these craft landing and then taking off. Okay, here's one um, from February 1969 in Brazil. Tiago Machado, 19, saw a huge parachute-like object which radiated bluish light. He and two others ran toward the apparent landing site. They became separated. Machado arrived there first. He found the object resting on a tripod landing gear on a slight rise. The top section was transparent and he could see shadowy figures. Witness was 30 feet from the object when the top section opened up and two small beings walked toward him. They then moved toward the UFO, turned, lifted a kind of pistol Shaped device which emitted a small bluish red flame, and the witness fell to the ground. His legs were later found to be red and swollen. Several people saw the object from a distance of twelve hundred feet. The grass was withered and dry, and three evenly spaced holes were punched into the ground. I bet it was in a triangular formation. It doesn't say that, but I'll bet it was. <clears throat> yeah, well, it did say a tripod, right? So I guess it would have been. Uh, yeah. Yeah, so it's it's the same over and over again. A lot of the cases are consistent with one another. Uh, here's another one from Brazil from 1969. Uh, Nalos Leite and Leite saw a ball of light flattened at the base, hovering 10 feet above the ground. As they approached, they were stopped by an invisible wall 350 feet from the UFO. They saw rows of small windows. The object ascended vertically at high speed and became extremely bright witnesses reported extreme heat the soil was scorched yep yep just like all of them i mean we have scorched soil we have broken tree branches burned trees dead trees uh earth that's devoid of that cannot no longer hold moisture these are the things that these ufos are doing and yet Uh, A lot of our scientists, uh, and this is, we're talking from, these are cases from the 60s. A lot of them are still calling UFOs nonsense and has nothing to do with extraterrestrials. That's what we're still being told. We're being gaslighted. Uh... Here's one from 1969, New Zealand. Nathan Brown was walking home when he saw a glow in an area by the road. He saw three people. He tried to approach them, but was stopped by an invisible force. He returned to the area the following morning and found marks in the ground. A neatly flattened strip of grass three to four feet wide and 60 feet long. Mm Mm-hmm. February 22, 1969, Brazil. Bakery owner Ignacio Grossman was awakened by a noise and saw, 175 feet away, a round orange object which was rising straight up. It was silent and ejected white smoke from its base. It vanished in seconds. Depressions were found 4 centimeters deep and 40 centimeters apart in the hard ground. They looked as though they had been produced by a small ladder pushed into the ground. A strong odor like mustard was detected." now if we would have had scientists let me just stop there if we had had like a real scientists like a really good strong healthy group of scientists investigating this back in the 60s not just from ufo organizations if we would, we, we would, we, we. They would have already come to the determination that, yeah, there's most certainly some uh, extraterrestrial or non-human intelligence responsible, uh, using their craft and making these marks in the ground. Uh, if that's what it is. They would have came to that determination a long time ago. But instead, we all got to pretend. Oh no, no, don't talk about that. Don't talk about physical case traces. Oh no, no, no. We're not going there. Oh. Uh. Like, I mean, I don't get it. I mean, I just don't get it. I mean, we have all the evidence right in front of our face. But, yeah, we have all, all of our officials telling us nothing. There's nothing to see here. People in the Pentagon, there's no such thing. We never came across anything. We got all these debunkers out there making hay over nothing. They don't even know what they're talking about. And here we're looking at all the evidence that's amassed by people, by people who researched this over long periods of time and put these these uh, catalog this catalog together. Uh, to show you exactly how extensive this is. And believe me, I can tell you right now, this stuff is still going on today. Uh, here's one from 1969, March of 1969 in Brazil. Uh, Maria Sintra, a nurse's aide employed at Ferrera Clemente Hospital, was about to go to sleep after night duty when she heard a sound like the brakes of a car outside her window. She looked out and saw in the courtyard what appeared to be a white woman of about 30, strangely garbed in a cape and tunic of some shiny material, bound at the waist with a heavy metal belt. I called out to the woman, inquiring if she were a patient desiring admission, but there was no reply. I dressed hurriedly and went outside. The strange person walked away from the building just as a machine resembling a huge plate floated from the air to the ground. A creature inside the machine opened up a hatch, the woman entered, and the machine went straight up in the air. Then I began screaming. Marks were found on the ground where the UFO had settled. The Brazilian Air Force took soil samples, and hospital director Prada said grass had ceased to grow on the spot. Again, how many cases are like this out there? It's incredible, isn't it? Okay, we're going to jump into the 70s here. I'm going to fast forward uh, just to do a couple more cases. But then there's one case I want to go back to uh, from earlier. Okay, let's go to this one from... uh, April 1970 in Australia, shipper Bob Manton of the freighter Ashburton was one of many people who sighted an object which was aluminum colored with a white tail. It appeared to touch the ground and a fire was seen. Here's from May 11, 1970 in Spain. Farmers of the Rancho del Maestro Oliva heard a sudden very loud and prolonged noise during a stormy, gusty night as if from three explosions merged into one. In the morning, Senor Gordillo, one of the farmers, found strange markings on his property consisting of two holes six centimeters in diameter at the top, widening into inverted cone at the bottom, which was 35 centimeters deep. Fifteen centimeters apart, each surrounded by smooth circular zones thirty centimeters centimeters across, tangent to each other, surrounded and turned by five oblique or thirty-degree holes, which each branch into two short tunnels placed so as to form a pentagon with, with a circumference of 1.10 meters. Around all this in the field was a circular area of 25 meters in which the stems of the sunflower plants appeared burnt while the leaves did not. Yep. Here's from July 1970. U.S. uh, Port Monmouth, New Jersey. Mrs. D.J. saw a large round object hovering over a meadow not far from her home. It glowed white with red lights. As she watched the object, a street light went out for 15 to 20 minutes. The object appeared to be 25 feet in diameter. There was a depressed circle 20 feet across in the grass. And about 50 feet away, another about 10 feet in diameter. There were three imprints making a triangle. They were 30 to 40 feet apart and 18 inches in square. Forming a triangle. Who would have thought it? Uh, here we go. Here's one from France from July 1970. Uh it, Irene G., a 16-year-old baker's helper, was looking for mushrooms when he saw, about 50 feet away through the high ferns that covered the ground, a metallic-looking dome. He moved closer, parting the ferns to see better, and was suddenly almost blinded by a strong yellow-orange light that seemed to come from three rectangular openings in the object from just below the dome. The intensity of the light seemed to separate the shiny dome from what he could barely see as a darker larger lower section. Irene felt frightened and paralyzed but continued to try to watch the silent stationary object about 20 feet in diameter and a 10 feet high with three antennae. As the object began to ascend slowly, the light beam turned away from the witness, enabling him to see clearly and move once more. Four supports or legs, short and sturdy, ending in rectangular pads, extended from holes in the base of the object, which reached a height of about 350 feet, suddenly jumped vertically and disappeared in a few seconds. As soon as it had disappeared, Irene ran to the village but told no one at first. Eight days later, he returned to the spot and found a rocky area where growth was damaged and four 16-inch deep marks 13 by 21 inches across with sharp edges and flat bottoms in the black clay soil plant material in the imprints had been pulverized investigators later spent much time with the witness and at the site that's that's something that Mufon had looked into back in the 70s there uh yeah and it just goes on and on like this i mean you go check this check out this now if you go to this uh i'm going to leave the link for this and you and you could you could read this document uh with ads in there or you could download it and you got to sign up for uh, Scribd or scribed, sorry, scribed and uh and then you'll be able to download the document and read through this but it's that's fascinating it's fascinating i mean i got all these cases i mean this is un- incredible but it's it's good yeah, this is this is proof this is proof where's all our scientists how come they weren't looking into these things don't they care <clears throat> Uh, Here's one from October of 1970 Uh, in Norway. Ridar Salvesen, 35-year-old marketing consultant, was driving home when he was blinded by a very strong blue-white light like the light from a welding flame. He stopped the car and got out. The light moved toward the car, stopping in front of it. The object was about 30 feet in in diameter. The witness was suddenly knocked to the ground, and at that moment, the windshield of the car was blown into the automobile. The object then took off at a high speed. A dull spot was found on the auto roof above the windshield. No radiation was found. (laughs) So this one, the physical trace evidence this time, it knocked out a car windshield. And there was a spot on the, on the roof. Here's one from Japan, November 1970. A 17-year-old boy was riding his bicycle when he saw six objects which flew in formation from northeast to southwest. Several seconds after they disappeared, a single object was seen in the north. The UFO reached a point overhead, changed course to the west, made a complete circle two times. It then hovered low to the ground for a few seconds, climbed, and disappeared overhead. There was no sound. The next morning, he returned to the area and found in the grass four circular marks of flattened grass, with the central one 60 centimeters in diameter, the smaller ones 25 centimeters. In two of the smaller marks and half of the central one, the grass was burnt brown. The marks formed a triangle with sides of 4.7 meters, 3.9 meters, and 4.2 meters. Triangles, Want to throw it out there. Again, uh, we'll do one more here from 1970. In England, a witness saw an object in a field as he drove by. It was about 20 feet in diameter, disc-shaped, dull gray. As he walked toward it, the object took off. A fuzzy halo was seen above the object as it ascended. A humming sound was heard, four windows seen. Two arms on the side retracted during ascent. The muddy field was found completely dry at the site with indentations. Again, evidence, physical trace evidence. That's what it is, folks. Now, one of the cases uh, that was in this uh, catalog from uh, Ted Phillips was about a guy named James Flynn. And I actually... uh, Looked in. I thought it was really interesting, so I, I dug up the full uh, a more full story on this because I wanted to talk about this. Again, if this, this these all these people aren't making this stuff up, this is stuff that really happened, and they, there was physical trace evidence left over to tell the to, to, to help prove it. And in fact, this guy here was blinded; one of his eyes was damaged for the rest of his life. Okay, uh, on Friday, Mar- this is from uh, thinkaboutitdocs.com, and I'll leave the link so you can read, out, read this. Uh, there's a bunch of different articles about the same event on this page, but I'm, I'm going to read this one here. Uh, that was uh, the, the, the final article here about it. It says here, on Friday, March 12th, James Flynn took his swamp buggy uh, camping camping gear, and four dogs and set out for the Everglades. Now, this is going on in Florida, by by the way. About 18 miles east of the Big Cypress Indian Reservations. On Sunday night, the dogs jumped a deer and ran off. Flynn whistled and called until about midnight, then started his swamp buggy and headed in the direction in which he saw them running. An hour later, at about 1 a.m., Flynn spotted a huge light in the sky above the cypress trees about a mile away. It moved from east to west, and back to its original position four times. The object then settled to the ground and appeared to hover at an altitude of four feet. Flynn drove closer, got out his binoculars, turned out the light on his swamp buggy, and watched it Watched it with the glasses. It was an unusual object of between 30 and 32 feet tall, and twice as big across the bottom in diameter as it was high. Eight feet from the top was a row of windows, below which were three more rows of the same size, about two feet by By two feet, around the windows was a black strip, perhaps two inches wide. From the bottom of the lowest row of windows to the bottom of the ship was a distance of about twelve feet. Flynn judged the size by comparing the object with the surrounding cypress trees, which were about twenty-five feet tall. It was cone-shaped, except the top was not peaked but rounded. The whole object appeared to me be metallic and comprised of pieces of material four feet by four feet and held together with rivets. Let me just stop there for a second. That's that's, you don't usually hear UFO cases where they're seeing rivets, but in this case, the guy saw rivets, the windows gave off a dull yellow light and the area under, under the object was lighted by an orangish, red glow. He watched the object for 30 to 40 minutes with his binoculars. Flynn was by this time about a quarter mile from the object and decided to investigate further, so he cranked up his buggy and approached it. He got within a few yards of the edge of the light and stopped, switching off his buggy lamp again. The dog he had on the buggy in a cage was so upset it had begun trying to tear out of its cage. Flynn walked to the edge of the lighted area, raised his arm, and waved. He got no response, and after waiting an estimated one-half minute, he walked about six feet into the lighted area, raised his arm, and waved again. Suddenly, a short beam of light erupted from just under the bottom of the windows and struck Flynn on the forehead. He lost consciousness. He awoke in the early hours of Tuesday after 24 hours of unconsciousness. Now, this thing, whatever it was, knocked this guy out for 24 hours. He's just laying out there in, a, in the middle of nowhere. Although he did not know at the time that he had been unconscious for such a long period, he was lying on the ground behind his buggy and a dog on the buggy had nearly torn his cage apart. Flynn looked around the area, found a perfectly symmetrical circle of burned ground cover where the object had hovered. Several cypresses on the opposite side of the circle were burned at the tops. He also found marks in the vicinity of his buggy indicating that he had crawled around before he regained consciousness, although he had no recollection of Weak from his long period without food, Flynn drove his buggy back to his campsite about two miles away, cooked bacon and eggs, and ate them. He then drove to the home of a Seminole Indian friend, Henry Billy, on the reservation. The going was slow, and he had only partial blurred sight in his left eye and was blind in his right eye. Billy offered to accompany him back to Fort Myers, but with partial sight, Flynn felt he could make the trip alone and arrived there at 4 p.m. Wednesday. He went to Brown's office, and it was there that he learned that he must have been unconscious for 24 hours instead of just a few minutes or hours. He had lost a whole day. The first consideration in this case, of course, is the integrity of the witness, and James Flynn's reputation was good. He was not a drinking man. He was a rancher who enjoyed hunting in the wilds of Florida's Everglades. This trip was... Not his first. He had not, prior to his experience, been interested in flying saucers. APRO requested from Dr. Stripe his opinion of Flynn, and what follows is the text of his letter to APRO dated April 28, 1965. I have known Mr. Flynn for 25 years and have always considered him a reliable, emotionally stable individual. I also accompanied him to the site of his observation of the flying object. I have made a few pictures of the burned area, which is not conclusive of anything, but a fresh burn and scorched treetops in a perfect circle near the area marked by Mr. Flynn as site of the hovering object. There were also fresh scuff marks on two trees, 12 to 15 feet apart in the area, underneath the burned circle of trees. The marks were as if a heavy object in a straight line had slid down the trees about two feet and there stopped. There was no mark of any kind on the soft, dried marsh underneath. No animal, human, or vehicle tracks of any kind. I could not account for those scuff marks. Very true yours, signed H.J. Stripe, M.D. And uh, <clears throat> Dr. Stripe's medical report reads as follows. I was asked to see Mr. Flynn about 48 hours after he was admitted to Lee Memorial Hospital by an ophthalmologist for an injury to his right eye, the eye condition, the condition was hemorrhaging into the anterior chamber of the eye, uh, apparently traumatic. Mr. Flynn gave a history of being hit by something like a flash of light while approaching an unidentified flying object hovering just above the ground. I am sure you are acquainted with the account of his observation of his UFO. When I first examined Mr. Flynn, he had both eyes covered by bandages and was not able to observe his eyes and I was not able to observe his eyes or forehead. He was alert and cooperative. The physical examination showed a well-muscled, well-nourished male. The heart and lungs were normal. The abdomen was normal. The only abnormal findings were neurological, neurological. No paralysis was noted, but the deep tendon reflexes of biceps triceps, patellas and achilles were absent. Plantars and abdominal were absent but cremasterics were present. Mr. Flynn was observed carefully for several weeks. His reflexes gradually gradually returned over a 5 day to 1 week period but returned irregularly, irregularly. The forehead was finally examined and presented a thickened area just above and medial to the right eye. In the center of this area was a depressed Slightly abraded spot about one centimeter in diameter. Very small amount of hematoma was noted across his right upper eyelid. There was never any mental confusion or evidence of hallucination. About the fourth day in the hospital, Mr. Flynn complained of hearing reduction and numbness in arms and hands. This cleared in about 24 hours. When last seen on April 16, 1965, approximately four weeks after the injury, Mr. Flynn was again checked. The abdominal reflexes were, were not present, but all others were normal. The depressed area over the right eye was still present and prominent. Was, excuse me, was still present and prominent. He still has a cloudy vision of the right eye. Nor no other abnormal physical or neurological fi- findings were noted. The huge burned area, the scorched tops of 25-foot cypress trees, the scrape marks four feet off the ground, all support Flynn's account. So there you go. So not only was there physical trace evidence in that case left at the, at the scene where the guy saw the object, but he also got, he was physically altered by this thing. He, for the rest of his life, his right eye, he couldn't, couldn't see out of it properly. It was always cloudy. But I think that's an, a, a very, very interesting case. And, um, uh, I wanted to share that one today because again all of these cases all of these physical trace cases I mean this that that's evidence that's actual evidence that we're talking about here uh, they, they sometimes they leave their calling cards. They they land somewhere. They leave marks in the ground. It's not hallucinations or or uh, uh, misidentifications. I mean, people are saying this is what they saw and this is where it landed. And look at there. Look at left. The grass is all burned. The vegetation. won't nothing will grow there anymore. There's marks in the ground. I mean, this is. It's not just the Lonnie Zamora case from 1964. There's hundreds and thousands of these kinds of case. There's a hundred, a hundred probably. I'm sure it's in the thousands. Right, thousands and of these kind of cases where there's physical trace evidence left behind. And for some reason, uh, the scientific community, for the most part, all these years just doesn't seem to really care about it, never really investigated. You have people like Ted Phillips, uh, people investigators that move on. There's some scientists uh, that show some interest in this. But for the most part, you think the entire scientific community would want to get to the bottom of something like this. Look at all, this, all these cases, and it continues to today. It's not. It's never stopped. We're always getting these cases, and I just wish the the entire scientific community would take it more seriously. Because then, I mean, at some point you'd have you'd have to reach a conclusion, right? I mean, what's causing this? I mean, it's it's like the cattle mutilations. You ha- at some point you reach a conclusion. It's it's obviously it's extraterrestrial. It's not Satanists. It's not some it just ain't uh, uh, wildlife. Other wildlife. I mean, they're not walking around with laser technology. I mean, you know, there's there's no wild uh, wolves out there that have the ability to to uh, cut cattle uh, apart using lasers. So it's that they're eliminated. You come to the conclusion, people are seeing UFOs all the time. Yeah, and then some, a lot of the cases you have where people actually saw the beings there. So it, you come to that conclusion. I mean, it's so what it is. It's extraterrestrial. Just like in these cases, it's extraterrestrial. Anyway, I want to say thank you all for joining me Until next time